You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Turn to God's Word, uh, the, to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, on page 1180. Philippians 4, we're going to look especially at verses 4 to 7, but let me read from the beginning of the chapter. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal Sergius or loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In these words, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. It's a man called uh, Roddy Martin, who is a kind of cultural commentator and not a Christian. And he wrote this about our society Society's obsession with celebrity for its own sake is a sign that people's lives are deeply unfulfilling and that so many people's lives now are totally empty. The majority of people don't know who their neighbors are. They don't really interact with the community they live in, but they seem to be fascinated by this senseless glamour which is going on on TV and the internet. And we do live in that, don't we live in that kind of celebrity culture? Uh, One of my favorite books in the world is a book by a man called Tobias Jones, who I don't know um, if he's a Christian yet or not, but he started off, he wrote a book called Utopian Dreams, A Search for a Better Life. He was actually given £100,000 to do this, basically to go to Italy and travel around and find, can I find a better life? Um, I feel that I'm due a sabbatical, and if you want to give me 100000 there's a chairman of the Deacon's Court sitting there, uh, £100,000 to go and find a better life. Uh, I'll do some research for you. But it was a great job that he had. And uh, he, at the beginning of his book, he says this, I'm wondering who we have become and what we want in this crazy world. And then he says, everywhere I look, I see cynicism and rampant individualism, empty consumerism and phony aspirations to better lifestyles, not, you will note, better lives. Uh, Jones then goes on uh, in search of community and condensing the book, I, I would highly recommend it to you, but he basically comes to the conclusion that he could only find it in some church and Christian communities. And he said, I say this even though I am worried about offending readers in an age where confessing to having faith is akin to admitting you have a problem with alcoholism. It's a private addiction. Now, why do I say all of that? Because I think these verses here, written in the context of Paul being in severe trouble and lots of difficulties occurring to him personally, being in jail for a start, and uh, troubles in the church and so on, that they indicate what Jones calls, not a better lifestyle, but the better 
life. Uh, sometimes we do feel kind of run down and we feel that the tank is empty. And I think this is fuel for that. So let's just look at these. I think four characteristics of what the Lord gives to us and what we should develop in our Christian lives. The first one is obvious, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The theme of of the whole letter, surely, chapter 1, verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Verse 18 Uh, What does it matter? The important thing that Christ is preached. Because of this, I rejoice. Verse 26. My being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Chapter 2 and verse 2. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Or on into verse 28 where he says, uh, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, it seems, here's the problem, I think, with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's a command. It's an imperative. Does it not strike you as a kind of strange command? The fact that it's a command at all. Isn't it like saying to a child, are you happy? No, you will be happy. Be happy now. Does that not what it... You know, smile, cheer up. You've got to be happy. It's a command. You've got to rejoice. How do we explain this? Well, we're capable of thinking, willing, and feeling. We need to think and understand what is right and what is good and commit our wills to doing it. Our feelings are then molded by that. In a rightly balanced life, our emotions and feelings are directed to what is good and right. Our feelings and emotions are not isolated from our thinking and our willing, but they are guided by them. The trouble is that the order has been inverted. We're not like that. Our wills are now dominated by our feelings. So maybe somebody this afternoon thought, I don't feel like going to church tonight, so I won't. Maybe that's how you work things. So often... Our thoughts are ruled by our wills as well. And as a result, we rejoice only when we feel good. There are things that happen that cause us to rejoice. How is it possible to rejoice at all times? If the command is feel good and feel happy all the time, it would be a ridiculous command. But look what the command actually is. It's rejoice Not always, it's rejoice in the Lord always. So our joy is not based upon our personal circumstances, but on our fellowship with Christ and the facts about him. Romans 5, 1 to 3 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Think of what the Lord tells the disciples in John 15 verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. And he's told them 
what's going to happen. He's told them that he's going to die. He's told them that there's going to be pruning and that there's going to be trouble. But he says, my joy will be complete in you. I think um, if you remain in me, he says, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. So this command, be joyful always, which is here and in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16, is a command not so much for us to to think, I've got to be happy all the time, but it's a command for us to seek our joy in Christ. And therefore, whatever our circumstances, now we will, of course we're going to rightly rejoice at things that we get, that we receive, that we benefit from, good news, we, we, we're healed, we get better, we, we get married or whatever, um, we do well in our exams, these things cause us joy. And that's not wrong at all. But all these things can be taken away and the reverse of these things can often happen and will happen. And so in order to rejoice always, our joy has to always be in Christ because Christ does not change. I don't know who said this. It sounds like John Piper, but I better not say because I can't remember. But I like the quote, joy bubbles and brims at the heart of God, the heart of reality. God is an overflowing fountain of joy, a volcanic explosion of joy, a trillion burning suns of joy. O joy, says George Matheson, that seekest me through pain. We'll sing this at the end. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. Augustine said that the Christian should be a hallelujah from head to foot. So there's the the first characteristic of a life that is full and a life that has meaning. It is a life of joy and many times I think you and I will pray the prayer of Psalm 51 give me back the joy I had keep or make my willing spirit glad it's good for us to ask where's our joy gone and also to seek uh, the joy of the Lord as our strength verse 5 then Back, sorry, to Philippians 4. We are going to jump around the Bible a wee bit. Uh, Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Now, what's interesting in this context is he's just been speaking about a particular situation where two women, two households, had been in conflict with one another. They were both believers. They were both fellow workers with Paul. There was conflict in the church. And Paul is saying to them, help them. In fact, he's saying to a man called Sergius, help these two women to, uh, I think, get together. And, he's, and, and I think he's writing to the whole church and saying, this is how you deal with these situations. So the first principle is joy. The second is gentleness. Now, these are not random thoughts. These are very connected. What's the connection here? If you're able to rejoice in the Lord, what does it mean? It means that you've been delivered from being obsessed with yourself and obsessed with your own circumstances. The joyless person, the person who has no joy, cannot really be a gentle person. Why? 
because gentleness is something that we would show if we are not obsessed with ourselves. Gentleness here has this idea of patience and of courtesy and perhaps respect. I think it's Phillips who translates, do not make a rigorous and obstinate stand for what is your just due. It's gentleness in the sense, we we tend to think of it gentle manner, but it's more in the sense of being self-restrained, of seeking reconciliation, forgiveness, taking the first step. She's not speaking to me, well I'll speak to her when she speaks to me. And Paul is saying, no, no, be gentle. In other words, you take the first step. You go and speak to her. The opposite of it, if you like, is being stiff, impractical, austere, and unmovable. Uh, Our politicians keep talking now about austerity, austerity this and austerity that. There's a kind of austerity of spirit as well, which means kind of joyless and graceless and, I don't know, narrow and uh, very focused on ourselves. But James says the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. James chapter 3 verse 17. Howard Marshall says the attitude of a man who is charitable towards this is the attitude of a man who is charitable towards men's faults and merciful in his judgment of their failings because he takes their whole situation into his reckoning. The ability to remain reasonable and unperturbed when confronted by difficult people and to treat them fairly and calmly. So a gentle person is someone who can deal with grumpy people. You know, the ones that are always moaning and, and, and complaining. And it's gentleness is the way that deals with that. Now, what's intriguing in this is, let your gentleness be evident to all. People see it because that's how you behave towards people. But look what he adds. The Lord is near. It could be, Uh, Paul is thinking of Christ returning and saying, you know, you should be because Christ will return. But I think it's more likely to refer to the idea of Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I think what he's saying is, look, there are people who are bruised and battered and broken and that's why they behave in a particular way. And you, by being gentle, considerate, towards them not seeking yourself first of all that really helps and aids incidentally I think that's also a cure for loneliness so two principles we are to cultivate joy and we are to cultivate an open generous and dare I say outgoing personality now I know some of you are going to say well I'm naturally a shy person and you know we think of outgoing personality somebody who's being who's very bubbly and and constantly in your face and maybe just a little bit too cheerful at times but that's not what this means an outgoing personality here is this idea of somebody who just doesn't wait for things to happen but is prepared to go out And to seek to help and to encourage. So the third thing then. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. 
If we're going to live a full life and a, a contented life and a life that brings glory to God, joy is part of it, gentleness, and then not worry. Worry is a big factor in our illnesses. I have some statistics here that I'm not sure I could verify them, but they sound uh, realistic. It was a study that was done that found that 40% of our worries are about things that never happen. 30% are about past events out of our control. 12% is health through small illnesses. 10% is about our families. And 8% had a real basis. I love the fact that the English word worry comes from the German word vergen, which means to strangle or to choke. And that is what worry does, even to the word of God that is sown. Think of the parable of the seed and the sower. The seed that is joyfully accepted takes root, begins to grow, and then it's choked. And how is it choked, says Jesus? It is choked by the worries of this life. The cares of this world. So you might hear God's word. And you might hear God's word just now. And then you may go away home. And you may be lying in your bed. Or you may wake up tomorrow. And the worries of this world take over. So that the word of God is is choked. And isn't there a clear connection here. Between joy and gentleness. And worry. A joyful person is not likely to be dominated by anxiety. It's not quite Bob Marley, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right. That's not what Paul means when he says don't be anxious. He's saying there's no place for anxiety in the Christian life because, well, not because we're assured everything's going to be perfect, but rather because in everything we can pray. Because the alternative to worry here is not put down as peace, first of all, but it's put down as uh, prayer. Don't be anxious, because that's as ridiculous a command, isn't it, as a command that says, be joyful, stop worrying. Um, If you have somebody who's really worried, and you say to them, don't worry, that's ridiculous. If I, you know, if you said to me, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm just really worried about this. I'm really worried about that. And you said, oh, stop it. Um, it doesn't really help. But the reason the Christian can turn away from worry is because we can go to God in prayer. First uh, Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter doesn't say, Stop it. Stop worrying. He says, just take that worry and give it to Jesus. In uh, the Sermon on the Mount from verse 25 onwards, you know that. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Why do you worry about clothes? You don't need to do all of that. Seek first his kingdom, says Jesus, and all these things will be added. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. We come to him with prayer, with petition. The petition is the particular aspects. With thanksgiving, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians three seventeen. 
thanking God for past favors, for present blessings, thinking about future hopes. All that prayer is, is the careful, patient spreading of our needs before God. This kind of prayer calling upon God for, to meet our needs. We detail our situations and anxieties. It's urgent, it's specific, it's particular. Prayer is to include all our interests, small and great. Nothing is too great for God's power, nothing too small for his fatherly care. Prayer and anxiety are opposite to each other. We sang that, didn't we? What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. See, the point of prayer is not that you pray You pray for something and then you have it and you go, that's fine. The point of prayer is you pray and you ask God and you leave your request and you leave your worry and you leave your concern with God. And that's why in verse 7 you end up with peace. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Joy takes us away from ourselves. Gentleness is how we react towards other people because we are not so self-obsessed. Worry is replaced by prayer and prayer, all that adds up to the peace of God which is beyond understanding. And it guards, that peace guards our hearts and mind like like a soldier. Now peace here is not apathy, It's not hardness, it's not kind of stoicism, oh well it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I've just got peace about it. Peace is the inward peace of the soul which comes from God. That though around there may be enormous storms, inwardly we have given things to God and we know that he will deal with them. We think, this is how this happens, we think We purpose, we feel, we feel, we purpose, we think, whatever way. We feel anxious, we act accordingly, and then we think. But I actually don't think you can reason your way out of anxiety. I like to think I'm a logical person, and if you came and said, I'm really worried about this, I might go, well, look, here's step one, and here's step two, point one, point two, point three, point four. We'll follow this logical process. Now, how do you feel? And you might go, Well, you're right, but I'm still worried about it. And I'm going to go, what? Okay, let's start again. Point one, you got that? Point two, you got that? Point three, you got that? Point four, now? Yeah, you're right, but I'm still worried. It's very hard to reason yourself out of worry. There are often problems and fears we cannot solve. Um, I've given up trying to solve the problem of flying, for example. I can do all the reasons, and I could take the medicine or whatever. Um, For me, no worries, no problems, as long as there's zero turbulence. And I mean zero. Anything above zero, and I, I go, oh no, oh no. And I reason with myself, and it doesn't matter. The fear is still there. That's maybe a trivial example. 
because there are people who worry about things a lot more seriously than, or a lot more serious than that. Now, what, does, what do we do in prayer? In prayer, we enter into the presence of God. We pray, we plead, we thank, and this peace does come to us. It's not we pray, we want, we get the answer that we want, and then we feel good. It's that we get the mind of Christ. We understand things from a very, very different perspective. Like Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says this. God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may, may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. He goes on to say that we have the mind of Christ. There is a peace which transcends what we grasp and what we understand. You will keep him in perfect peace, says Isaiah 26, 3, whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. It's the peace that says, I don't grasp this, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I trust in God. And Paul uses this wonderful image of a soldier or a oh, it's, the Philip. Philippi was a, a soldier town. It was a garrison town. And Paul is saying, this is like having your own internal surveillance system that's watching out for you and protecting you and guarding your, your heart and your mind. I think that um, the poet Tennyson put this in a lovely way. Love is and was my king and lord and will be though as yet I keep. Within his court on earth and sleep, encompassed by his faithful guard, and here at times a sentinel who moves about from place to place and whispers in the world of space in the deep night that all is well. That's what Paul is telling Yodia and Syntyche, who are so anxious and fighting amongst themselves. And he, he's saying to them, No, 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 rejoice, be gentle, the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Present your requests with thanksgiving to God. And this peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Notice also that this peace is in Christ. It's not just about us feeling peaceful and so on. It's like the joy. It is in Christ. Some people feel that they are peaceful when they are in control. Got this one. Got this one sorted. I'm in control. I'm like that. Um, Annabelle once bought me a, uh, um, a flying lesson. Which was I think a form of either severe cruelty. Uh, I think it was for my birthday. And, and I went from Dundee airport in this tiny wee plane. And the guy who's doing the flying lesson says. Now don't panic but. And he switched the engine off. I'm going what? Where? We're going to go in the Tay. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm showing you how this works. Okay, put it back on. <laughs> it works, I believe you. And he says, no, 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 you can control this plane. 
And here's the interesting thing, that actually being in the plane and being in control, I didn't mind at all. So I think the next time I fly, uh, you know, in the Boeing 747 or whatever, I think I should go to the cockpit and say, do you mind if I fly this thing? Uh, because it would make me feel more peaceful because I would be in control. Which would, of course, be a ridiculous statement. But isn't that what we do with God? You say, Lord, it's great that you come along to aid me, but would you mind if I was in control here? And God says, no, no, no. Serenity, says one man, is not being in control, but being under control and the control of God. And I think that is what Paul is. It's a very simple and straightforward thing. Joy and gentleness, prayerfulness, and the peace that comes from that. Maybe I can uh, kind of conclude this by summing it up in um, a song by the Eagles. I've got a peaceful, easy feeling. And I know you won't let me down because I'm already standing on the ground. Now, I know they didn't write that about Christ. But I, I, um, I'm plagiarizing it and taking it because I think it's a great um, summary of what this says. What's the Christian doing? The Christian is already standing on the ground. The Christian is already standing on the rock. The rock won't let us down. And because of that, we can have this peaceful Uh, This peace and this joy. We can have it as a community. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. It may not seem a huge amount. You know, we like strategies and formulas. Well, here's a strategy and a formula. It's very straightforward. You want to be a growing and developing Christian. We want to be a growing and developing church. Maybe joy in the Lord, gentleness because the Lord is near, prayerfulness with thanksgiving, and the peace of God guarding our hearts and our mind. Maybe that's a formula that, that will work for you and work for us as a whole church. I think Christ came to give us these fruits. I think his death, I'm sure his death, There's a ripple effect that comes from that. And if you're here tonight and you are a believer and joy is right now not the major characteristic in your life, gentleness, well, you'd like it someday, and prayerfulness, you you can't remember when you last spent significant time in prayer. None of these things are part of your life and yet you are a believer i want you to hear what christ has to say to us it is a command look to him look to rejoice look to see what comes from that and if you're not yet a believer and you're concerned about well if i become a christian what about this and if i become a christian what about that i just want to simply say to you that this is part of the the wonderful fruit that Christ brings into our lives when we come to Christ. We give, if you like, our hearts to Christ. We give ourselves to Christ. And he gives us so much more in return. Wouldn't you rather be in Christ with his peace and his joy rather than outside of Christ with no possibility of 
having that. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.